Well, good morning, church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Y'all can be seated. It's good to hear there's some joy in the house of the Lord today. Amen. I know today we are in mourning a little bit over what happened last Sunday, but we will get over it. Mahomes might have thrown the game. We don't know. Well, listen, it's super good to see you guys this morning. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we are wrapping up our uh, Momentum series today. And uh, man, I hope, I hope this has been a helpful series for you. Um, I, my, my goal has been to try to teach you that there is such a thing as momentum in the kingdom of God. And, and there is a way that you can tap into and experience that momentum to help, help propel you past some of the hardships of life, propel you past some of the stuff of life. And um, I hope, uh, maybe, that this has been a helpful series for you. Has it? Has it been, have you learned something? Has it been encouraging to you in some way? Good, 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 good. Well, I'm glad to hear that because today we're going to be taking, um, we're going to put an interesting bow on it and I'll, I'll get there in just a minute. Um, but I want to, before I get too far ahead, I just want to let you know about something that's happening starting next week. Next week, we are beginning a brand new teaching series. Um, and and I, I don't use hyperbole a lot. I will often say I'm excited about something. Um, but when I tell you that next week we begin the most important six weeks in the, in the history of our church, um, it's not hyperbole. Um, I'm not just hyping that. Um, I believe that God is leading us as a church to a, a, a new place. And I believe that not just us as a church, but I believe that what God's put in my heart is, 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 a, is a message series where we're going to be unpacking some vision about what the next chapter for our church is. But I believe that more than just a vision for a church, I believe that it's a vision that God has for the next chapter in your life. And I've spent the better part of the last year in prayer and preparation and study and, and getting some wise counsel and working with our staff. Um, and I'm gonna be unveiling some, some massive things beginning next week. So don't miss it. If you consider Discover Church your home, don't miss it. And I'm just gonna go way out on a limb and say, listen, mark off the next six weeks of your Sunday mornings and be here. Get connected to a small group because in the small group is where you're gonna have a chance to unpack what we're gonna talk about on Sunday mornings more to help you begin to try to see in the context of community how what we're talking about on Sunday mornings goes past what we're talking about to as a church and goes into your heart and what God intends for you. Um, and I'm just gonna ask you to begin praying right now. Begin praying that God would just speak to you and that God would speak to our church and that God would stir up something new in us. And so I'm going to commit to praying that for you. Can you commit to praying that for one another? Amen? Amen. Listen, don't miss it. I don't want you to miss a week of it. Um, if you're online, find a way to get here in person. I'm glad that we can do stuff online. But if you can get here in person, please do. Now, um, if you missed it uh, on our social media uh, stuff this last week, we released uh, kind of a teaser video. I wouldn't even call it a trailer video. It's kind of a teaser video. It, it's intended to intentionally tell a story that makes you begin to wonder. And so if you missed it, go check out our social media handles on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can find those on the handout. If you don't have a handout, look at the person next to you. Go follow us, get connected with us. We would love to continue the conversation of what God's doing in our lives here throughout the week. Now, as we wrap up this series, um, I, I begin praying, God, how do, I, how do I wrap up this series? I mean, so far we've been talking about the reality of momentum. We've been talking about the power of momentum. We've talked about the pattern of momentum. We've talked about where momentum is going to lead us to and, and the kind of growth that it's going to cause in us. And, and we've talked about um, all of these things. And, 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 and so God, how do we wrap up this series um, in such a way? And I just begin to feel God put a, 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 a message on my heart that, that it's, it's something that I felt God wanting me to preach for months but it's, it's been a situation where I'm like, God, can I preach this message? And God said, no. And I go, okay, well, well, what about now? Can I preach this message? And God said, no. And, and I see now that God has been preparing and preserving this message that's been stirring in my heart for several months for today, because today what I'm gonna try to help you see is how, how it is that you in your life can create an impediment 
to the unstoppable momentum that we've been talking about. You go, hey, preacher, man, that doesn't work. If it's unstoppable momentum, then how can I stop it? Well, I'm gonna teach you. I believe the most significant way, the most prominent way that you or I can interrupt the momentum that God wants to build in our lives is by doing what we're gonna talk about today. I've titled the message today, I Pledge Allegiance To. Um, and that's gonna make sense as we get into it. And all along the way, as we've been going through this series, I've been using this metaphor of, of rowing and sailing to try to help us understand the difference between doing things on our own and our own effort and, and understanding what it means to be able to tap into the momentum of God. And, and what I've been trying to teach you is, is that the American dream tells you to get into a rowboat and just start rowing. Work hard, do your best, stay out of trouble and row and row and row and row and row. And we as Americans have fallen in love with the concept, most of us have fallen in love with the concept of hard work. We've fallen in love with the concept of being busy. I, 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 I ask you, as you go throughout this next week or as you think back on the conversation you've had this last week, how often you've had a conversation with somebody where at some point in the conversation, somebody didn't said, you staying busy? How you doing? Oh, we're good, but busy. You see, this is, the, this is the embodiment of the American dream that we get in the rowboat and we just row and we believe that we can create this momentum of our own. But what I've been trying to help you see through the preaching of God's word is that what God wants to do is a little bit different. God doesn't want you to grab the rows, the oars and just start rowing. God wants you to hoist the sail and surrender your life to him and watch what happens when the wind of heaven blows in the sails of your life and you are able to trust God. It doesn't mean that you don't work. You see, got to steer that thing. You got to work on making sure that you don't tip over. There's still work to be done, but the trust factor, the engine is not your own self. It's surrendering to God and God is propelling you forward with the momentum of heaven. The problem that we have in our lives that we're going to talk about today is that at the top of the mass of our sailboat is a flag because that's what you do when you, when you have a boat, a big boat, you put a flag on it. And the flag that's on the boat kind of represents whose colors or whose authority you are sailing under. And I believe that one of the most prominent reasons why we struggle in our lives is because we don't know which flag is supposed to be at the top of our lives. Now, I'm going to unpack this today, and, and you might be asking, man, what, what are you talking about? This isn't making any sense, and, and I promise if you'll stay with me, I'm going to go somewhere. But before I, I get there, I want, to, I want to first establish a, a little bit of a foundation of some things that are absolutely true about anybody who has ever called upon the name of Jesus for salvation. Now, let me pause just for a second and say, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm glad you're here. I'm honored that you're here. We're gonna be helping you understand why we believe, why I believe having a relationship with Jesus is the most important thing and most important decision that you can make in your life, bar none. But if you're here and you've got questions, man, you picked a great, a great day to come to church. We do what we do on Sunday mornings in large part to create a safe place for people who have questions and doubts and, and curiosities and even some skepticism towards Jesus. We wanna create a space where you can come in with all of that and we can just show you who Jesus is. And we don't have all the answers, but we can tell you about what Jesus has done in our lives. I wanna take a moment and talk about a couple of things that are true for us if you have called upon the name of Jesus for salvation. Colossians 3 says this, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things of above, not on the things of the earth. Why? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ. This verse is describing the reality of what happens when somebody places their faith in Jesus for salvation. That you, the you that was you before Jesus died. No longer are you just you. You are now the you that has been called and identified as a child of God. And because of that, God is asking us, he's imploring us, listen, because you are now a child of God, you have access to things that you didn't have access to when it was just you. 
You have, you have rights. You have, you have things that have been guaranteed to you now as a child of God that you did not have before you were a child of God. Therefore, do not look just on the things of this earth. Look above the earth where Christ is. Why? Because we died and our life has been now hidden in Christ, meaning that, that our life is positionally where Christ is. Because of his death and his burial and his resurrection, Jesus beat death, he overcame the grave, and he made it possible that our past doesn't have to be our headline and that the grave doesn't have to be the period of our story. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 121, verse one. He says, I will lift my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. What you need to understand contextually is that what David is writing about here is that in his day and age, it was common that on the hills surrounding the towns, there would, they would build um, temples of worship to false pagan gods. And so it was, it was a very common thing for someone to look, when they were in a hard time, they would look to the hills because they would look to the God that they hoped in. They would look to the God that they had trust in. They would look to the God that they would worship. But what David is saying is that, listen, I look to the hills, but I'm not just looking at the hill where the temple of the false God is. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Basically what he's saying is, is my help comes from the one who made the hill. That's where my help comes from. You see, the idea that's, that God is trying to get across to us today is that what we have to understand is that the things that we are ultimately hoping for, the victory that we ultimately want, the encouragement, the peace, the, the comfort, those things will never truly be found for us here on earth. Therefore, with our lives hidden with Christ, with a new identity in Christ, we need to learn how to access the rights and the freedoms that have been conferred to the children of God by looking beyond this earth, by looking beyond just time and space that I can see and feel and looking to heaven. What God wants us to understand is that when you became a follower of Jesus, you weren't just a, you weren't just a bad person who was made good, you were a dead person who was made alive. Scripture goes on to say that we have become a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. That's what happens at the moment of our faith. Oftentimes you will hear people use the term born again. Now, if you grew up in the Baptist world, uh, man, you, you know all too well. We, Baptists love to talk about being born again. You grow up in any other denomination, you hear Baptists talk about being born again. You're like, what kind of cult are y'all in? This phrase is actually from the Bible. Jesus talked about it when he was in John 3. He talked to Nicodemus. He talked about how you have to be born again. Now, before I begin to unpack that, I want you to think about just for a second some things that you and I know to be true about what happened when you were born the first time physically. Now, whether you were aware of it or not, and by all accounts, you weren't, there were some things that happened. And one of the things that happened when you were born is that there was, there was a piece of paper that, that had your name on it, and there was a form that was filled out that had your name on it, had your mama's name on it, your daddy's name on it, the time you were born, where you were born, and all that kind of stuff. And all of that stuff got, got probably got framed maybe. Uh, maybe it's one of those things that when you move out of the house, when your parents start saying, hey, I got all this stuff, come get it. And you're like, mama, I don't care about the craft project I did in third grade. I just don't. Mom, if you're watching, there's a reason why I keep forgetting the Tupperware bowl things, containers at your house. I don't want them. But what happened is, is that that information was sent off and there was a legal document that was created. And if you're over the age of 18, you probably have this. If you don't, you should have it. If you don't know where it is, you probably need to figure this out. Called a birth certificate. And a birth certificate is more than just a memento. A birth certificate is more than just something that you can look at that goes, oh yeah, that's cute. It's more than just something that, it's the reason why when you go to get identification from the government, a driver's license, a passport, um, those kinds of things, there's a reason why they oftentimes want to see your birth certificate because what they want to know is that were you truly born as a citizen of this country? 
When you were born, it, it, it put your name and, and filed your name away and you got a number that identified you called a social security number and it identified you that you in fact were born to these people at this place at this time. And we're not just doing it so that we can have a groundwork to celebrate it. No, 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 no. You have now, because you were born to these people in this place at this time, you now have certain rights that are endowed to you, not only by our creator, but by our government that confers upon you certain rights and privileges with the expectation that so long as you live according to the rights and privileges and the laws of the land, then you will have the opportunity to go and, and, and pursue life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That's the idea. The same thing happens when you were born again, when you were born spiritually. John, Jesus said in John 3, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he said, listen, Nicodemus, like, how can somebody inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, you must be born again. And naturally, Nicodemus kind of went, Hold up on that just for a second. I know how are born. Do I have to? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. The first time you were born physically. The second time you have to be born Spiritually, the first time you were born of water, speaking to the amniotic fluid that, that you were in as you were growing in your mother's belly. But the second time you must be born in your spirit. Ephesians goes on to tell us in Ephesians chapter one that, that we have this, this spiritual birth certificate that the Holy Spirit is the seal of our spiritual birth. There's a whole lot of teaching here, but Baptists have coined the phrase or somebody coined it for Baptists, once saved, always saved. That's not a Baptist thing. That's a Bible thing. You didn't earn your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. The Holy Spirit sealed your salvation and ain't nothing you or anybody else can do can remove you out of the family of God. What I want to help you to see is that because of our second birth, in the same way that happened in our first birth, we were made citizens of the country that you were born in. Because of your second birth, you have a new citizenship. Colossians, or I'm sorry, Philippians 3 tells us about this citizenship when it says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you think about this for a minute, that because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he rose again, because of the grace that he demonstrated, he makes it possible now for you not to just to have your bad stuff forgiven. He makes it possible now not for you to just, uh, it's not just so that you can just skip past hell. He makes it possible so that you not only are able to be called a child of God, but because of your faith in Christ, you are made a citizen of heaven. And that is significant for us today. It's significant that we understand that our citizenship in heaven changes everything about our lives, including how we live our lives. There's a truth that I believe that God wants you to understand today, and it's this, that your citizenship in heaven trumps your citizenship anywhere else. There is no other citizenship that is more important upon your life than your citizenship in heaven. The problem is, is that most of us might say that we get that. We might say that we agree with it, but oftentimes the way that we live shows that we don't understand it. You see, it's because of our citizenship that we have in heaven that enables people from all across the globe, from different genders, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different political parties, to all be united together and to be called one as children of God and to be able to refer to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Galatians puts it this way in Galatians 3, for you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What he's saying is, is that when you put your faith in Christ, you were, you were made new, you were changed. And when you were changed by Christ, you have put on Christ. Whatever you had on before, I'm a, I'm a KU fan, I'm a Mizzou fan, I'm an Arkansas fan, I'm a Missouri boy, an Arkansas girl, I grew, I grew up in Kansas, I vote for this party or that party, I'm a citizen of this nation. What he's saying is, is over all of that, You put on Christ. And because of that, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Why? Because all are one in Christ Jesus. At this point, someone's going, "Uh uh-oh. Preacher man going to get political today. And I don't know how I feel about that. Can I tell you, this preacher man will never get political, but I will talk about the Bible when politics wants to play. For all of us who have discovered life in Christ, the greatest superlative that could ever be associated with you is not your race, it's not your gender, It's not where you come from or where you're going. It's not your career. It's not your relationship status. It's not your parenting status. It's not the condition of uh, of your 401k. None of those things matter. In the shadow of the most important superlative that could ever be uttered about you if you belong to Christ. It's this. You are a child of God. And as a child of God, you are a citizen of heaven. What does this mean? Well, it means that we are all who are Christians, who are believers in Christ, we are all expatriates. I'm not talking about the team Brady used to play for. None of us like that team anyway. So I realized when I called you an expatriate, you might've thought it sounded like a four letter word. And I'm not, I'm not saying that. What is an expatriate? An expatriate is someone who resides in a country other than their native country. You see, what God is trying to help us understand is that no matter the country that you were born in, when you become a child of God, that country is no longer your native country. Heaven is your native country. And over and over and over and over again, Scripture repeatedly tries to help us understand this picture and understand this image. Let me share a couple of verses with you. Hebrews 13, 14 says this, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. This home, this earth, this world, this nation, this country, this state, your house, it is not your permanent home. It's temporary. Why? Because you're a citizen of heaven and you have been granted access through the passport of your salvation to be able to come freely into the place where God resides. How about this verse? First Peter 2 says this, beloved, I beg you as sojourners, other translations use the word aliens there. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against your soul. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you are an alien. This world is foreign to you. In the same way that the early settlers of, from Europe came in, they were, they were pilgrims, they were, they were forging a new land, they were trying to figure things out. In the same way, this world is now your pilgrim land. It should begin to look and feel uncomfortable to you as you grow in Christ and as you set your eyes on things above. This last one. In 2 Corinthians 5, and there's several more, but I'm going to stop after this one. 
The section of 2 Corinthians 5 says this, we are ambassadors for Christ. Do you see the picture that God is trying to paint for you if you belong to Jesus? He's trying to say, this isn't home. Don't put your feet up. This is temporary. And while you're here, I'm sending you as my ambassador, as a delegate of my kingdom out into the world so that people can know my desire is not to wage war against the people. My desire is peace. And I'm able to offer and demonstrate peace to the people because I declare war on my son who took on the sins of the world. And I executed my judgment against the world upon my son and by faith in my son. You're not an enemy of mine. You are a child of mine. Here's the issue. The biggest impediment to experiencing momentum in your life is when you misunderstand and confuse where your citizenship truly lies. Let me illustrate it this way. A couple weeks ago during the Bills game, um, me and my, my oldest son and, and my father-in-law were watching the game and we're going crazy, right? The Chiefs are coming back. This is crazy. And then we almost cried and then we were crazy again. Then we almost cried and we were crazy again. My youngest son, Gunner, was like doing the opposite of what we were doing. When the Bills scored, he got excited. I questioned everything I had done to that point as a dad. You see, what had happened was, is we decided to do a family bracket challenge with the playoffs. And I don't know why, but my son Gunner is the only one who picked the Bills to beat the Chiefs. He's rattling off, I, I would rattle off the teams and he would pick, I'll pick this team. Rattle off the, the game, he'd pick that team. He said, Bills. And I started writing out, I said, what? Shut your mouth. You grounded. He goes, no, daddy, I'm picking the Bills. Everybody else picked the Chiefs. And if I'm gonna win, I'm gonna pick the Bills. Now, that, listen, that is my son. He hates to lose, I hate to lose. People ask the question, do you love winning or do you hate to lose? I hate losing. So he's the only one in the family picked the Bills to win. The game is over. We're celebrating. Can you believe that? What a game. It was awesome. Gunner's over there on the couch like moping. I'm trying to give him a high five and he just gives me the stink eye. My father-in-law goes, Gunner, what's the matter, bud? He goes, well, I picked the Bills to win and because the Bills didn't win, I don't get to win the bracket challenge. And I, I believe that somebody needs to hear this today because my father-in-law said, Gunner, but you're really a Chiefs fan. You're not really a fan of the Bills. After about a minute or a minute and a half of allowing that to stew, he goes, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Listen, here's, when you misunderstand where your citizenship, where your allegiance truly lies in Christ, you're gonna think some things that aren't true and you're gonna do some things that are stupid and you're gonna interrupt the things that God wants to do in your life. Why? Because you're really a citizen of heaven, not of this world. You see, when you confuse this, I believe that there's two things that happens. Two things that, that, that are a byproduct of this thought because thought leads to actions. There's two critical things that, that interrupt the momentum that we've been talking about building during this series. And the first thing is this, that when you confuse your citizenship in heaven and you begin to think that your citizenship in this world as a, as a citizen of, of a country is more important than your citizenship in heaven, then you will confuse things, you will do stupid things, and you will end up choosing sin instead of righteousness. Because you will believe that you need this thing to help get you through this problem. But you don't understand you've already been given and granted access as a child of God to a citizen of heaven. Because of that, I want you to notice what Romans chapter six says. It says, knowing this, our old man was crucified with him, that's Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with. 
that the sinful desires and wants and, and things that pull on you, that lead you away from God, it's been done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You see, by your faith in Christ, there is a transaction that happens because of Jesus's death on the cross, two significant things happen. Number one, you are set free from the penalty of sin. Which means that, that you now, any time that you feel the guilt and the shame and the condemnation welling up inside of you, that, that if you were to stand in the tribunal of God's court, that God would look at you and declare you guilty of your sin. But when it comes time to issuing the punishment for the sin, for the penalty of the sin, Jesus steps in and says, I got him. I got her. I paid for that. But the good news is not just that you've been set free from sin's penalty, you've also been set free from sin's power. Why? How? Because when you become a citizen of heaven, what is conferred upon you is almost like a diplomatic immunity that makes it so that you don't have to stand trial for the sins that you've committed. And even better, Whatever power sin has over you, you don't have to be a slave to anymore. You see, if we don't understand our citizenship in heaven, then we will believe that we are addicted to sin. We will believe that we're slaves to alcoholism. We will believe that we're slaves to pornography. We will believe that we're slaves to anxiety and slaves to depression and slaves to bitterness and slaves to unforgiveness. But the truth of the matter is, is because of your faith in Christ, you are not a slave to any of those things. You are a slave only to Christ. And the consequence of being a slave to Christ is what he he said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, when he said, I've come that you can have life and have it more abundantly. When you confuse your citizenship, you will choose sin over righteousness. The second thing that you will do, and this is gonna, this is gonna ruffle some feathers for the glory of God. The second thing you will do is you will elevate your allegiance to country as equal to or greater than your allegiance to Jesus. I'll let that sit for just a second. You see, we've been led to believe that the conservative Christian voting block is the most influential voting block in the country, and it is. But somewhere along the way, we have been lulled and duped in believing that, that because we live in the greatest, most wealthy, most powerful nation with the greatest amount of freedoms and opportunities afforded to the greatest amount of people that has ever existed in the history of man, that as I, as an as a American Christian, that my service to my country is equal to my servant's to my God, but that's simply not how it works. Now listen, before you get upset and go, oh boy, he's gonna tell me it's, it's bad that I love my country. He's gonna tell me it's bad that I have a flag on my bumper sticker on my car. It's bad that I voted for this person or that person. I would just say, calm down for a second and hear me out. It is a right and good thing to have a sense of pride for your country. It is right and it's a good thing to honor those who have fought and served for their country in physical and legal, legal battlegrounds. And it's a good thing to recognize that even though you love your country, your country is not perfect and it's made mistakes. I want you to hear me clearly. It is okay and it is right to serve both God and country. But hear me clearly. When in service to your country, you violate your God, you're wrong. You go, what? How could I possibly do that? How could I violate my God in service to my country? And so I want to give some examples and these aren't emphatic certainly not exhaustive, just some things to consider. Some things that, that as I have 
watched and observed a lot of the things that have happened over the last 10 to 15 to 20 years as, as I've come into adulthood and, 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 and process what it means to vote and thinking about how I'm gonna vote and trying to be a responsible citizen, I've observed some things that I believe have become true for a lot of American Christians who have misappropriated their citizenship. And so I just wanna give some examples of things and I'm just asking you to consider, are any of these true for you? Have you in service to your country been prone to see the issue as more important than the person? Have you in service to your country chosen to retreat from the culture because the culture's bad, bad things out there. It's the devil's playground out there. I'm just gonna retreat from all of the culture, all of the things. Have you, in service to your country, chosen to isolate yourself and silo yourself into echo chambers where you only desire to hear from or see from or associate with people who think exactly the way that you do about all of the things that's going on in the world and in the country the same way that you see them? Have you in service to your country chosen to obsess about rallying around political parties or raising banners of protest? And when people associate you, when they think of you, they think of your party or your protest as the thing that's most important to you. In service to your country, have you fallen prey to selective vision? of being more quickly able to recognize the things that divide us. Now listen, I'm not giving any particular book, chapter, verse saying that any one of these particular things that God would say is sinful, but I would ask you to consider the things that God has called us to do and led us to do and sent us out into the world to do as citizens of heaven. Because I believe that God has called us to do the opposite of these things. I believe that scripture makes it clear that God calls us to see the person before we see the issue. Doesn't mean that we ignore the issue. Doesn't mean we act like the issue doesn't exist. Doesn't mean that we talk, don't talk about the issue. And it certainly doesn't mean that we don't walk into the voting booth and vote according to the way that we believe that God would be most glorified and honored by how I cast my vote. But what I do believe is that God saw you before he saw your sin. God sees the people before the issue. God calls us to engage with the culture, not to run from it. Jesus didn't cancel the culture. Jesus didn't refuse the culture. Jesus didn't run away from the culture. No, Jesus gave up all of heaven to come in and engage the culture. As a citizen of heaven, God calls us to be all things to all people that by some, mean, by, by some means we might reach some, which means... In order to be able to reach people for the glory of God, to tell them about the love of Jesus, you're gonna have to get out of your echo chamber and you're gonna have to engage with people who believe and behave differently than you do. What am I supposed to do when they talk about the things that I don't believe in? See, point number one, see the person before the issue. God calls us as citizens of heaven to rally around King Jesus and to wave the white flag of surrender to him so that when people see you and they think about you and they wonder what's the most important thing to that person's life if they were a follower of Jesus, that they would immediately associate first and foremost Jesus. Yeah, but what about abortion? Jesus. What about the economy? Jesus. Yeah, but what about, what about Trump? Jesus. What about George Floyd? Jesus. And as a citizen of heaven, God calls us to realize that there's way more that unites us than divides us. Because what unites all of us, regardless of who we, how we think and who we vote for, is the reality that all of us are here because our God looked across his kingdom and said, I need somebody. And then he created you and you and you, and you, and you, and you, and he didn't create you for a political party, he created you to serve his kingdom. And because of that, there's way more that unites us than divides us. Listen, I love America, the red, white, and blue, it means something to me. 
I grew up as a son of a Marine. Numerous people in my family that have fought and served in the military. I think it's important that we vote. I have strong convictions about what certain things should be. And I'm thankful that every single week I have the freedom and the platform to talk about Jesus as loud as I want to and nobody's gonna come in and tell me not to. At least not legally. And I believe that for whatever reason, I was blessed beyond measure to be born in this country. And if I were to look at things from the perspective of an American Christian, and I'm choosing that sequence on purpose, then what happens is, is that as an American Christian, I could fall guilty of elevating my American citizenship above my citizenship in heaven. And when I do that, then I could fall guilty of looking around at everything that's happening in the world and I can be upset and I could be mad and I could be sad and I could be afraid and I can do all these things about how the world's going to hell in a handbasket and, you know, we used to be a godly nation and we used to not take God out of the schools and we used to be able to pray in this and da-da-da-da-da and all these things. And I listen, I could choose to do that if, I were to choose to elevate my American citizenship above my citizenship in heaven. But I just believe that me doing that and spending all of that time and all of that energy will yield zero fruit. Oh, he's saying we shouldn't vote. That's not what I'm saying, go vote. He's saying we shouldn't engage in the political scene. Nope, it's not what I'm saying, do that. I'm asking you to consider what Jesus said and what God has told us in Colossians because of our relationship with Christ and our citizenship in heaven that we would stop looking on the things below to provide our security and hope and we lift our eyes above the hills from where our help comes from and realizing that because we are citizens of heaven, we have rights and freedoms that have been conferred to us that we can exercise, that our hope and our security is never going to come from this world. Therefore, stop living in fear. I believe that what we need to do as the Christians who live in America is I believe we need to have a funeral. I think we need to stop griping and bellyaching, complaining about the nation that was, and we just come to grips with the reality that that nation is dead. America is not a godly nation. America is not a Christian nation. And it hasn't been for a while. I think we need to bury that thought. I think we need to, whatever it looks like, have a funeral for that thought and that romantic idea. And we need to grieve it and we need to mourn it. And then we need to move on. Because our king has left us here as his ambassadors to get people to see that nothing that would happen on this earth was ever going to be their hope or security anyway. And I think that if we would be willing to do that, I believe it would change the perspective about how we see everything in this country. And that we would stop being motivated by fear Instead, we would be motivated with remarkable faith. I want to share a quote that I read recently in preparation from this from a book called A Work of Heart, and it says this, and I've got the quote here for you. I want you to read it because I think it's significant. It says this, many commentators have declared Americans to be post-Christian. In reality, they can be described as pre-Christian. I just want to read that again. Many commentators have declared Americans to be post-Christian. In reality, they can be described as pre-Christian. Why? He tells us. Generation X is the first American generation in which over half its population began their religious pilgrimage 
from some starting point other than a Christian worldview. Oh, the kid's a hell in a handbasket. Oh, it's all gone. They don't have a chance now. Stop. Stop being driven by fear. Get your eyes up and look to the heavens. Those spiritual interests among this group is high. Their file folders are largely empty of classic Christian theology. The new and needed apologetics will differ from previous apologetic models geared at convincing people solely or even mainly from a rationalistic perspective or that begin with biblical authority. Hard stop. Let me just say, there is no question about the authority of scripture. Christians need to come back to the classic belief that God's word is inerrant, it's inspired, it's infallible, it's without error, it's been perfectly preserved for thousands of generations, multiple authors over hundreds of years, all conveying the same message. So I'm not calling into question the authority of scripture and neither should you. However, because the Bible says so doesn't work. And I would argue it never did work. Notice what he continues to say. People want to see spiritual power demonstrated by transformed lives expressed in community. This is the great hope people harbor. They will respond to a spiritual belief system that delivers at this point. And Jesus said that the proof of discipleship to the world be his followers' love for one another. Early observers were drawn to the Christian movement exactly for this reason. For those that are familiar with the story of Acts, they weren't drawn to Jesus because they said the Bible said so. Love expressed through community still transforms and creates an attractive and compelling initiative and invitation for others to join up. In other words, what he's saying is that there is no difference from a post-Christian world and a pre-Christian world. Therefore, when we hear the message of Jesus and see what he did with his followers, that he sent them out into the world, and I'm just curious if this sounds familiar to anyone or not. He sent them out into the world where greed and corruption ruled the political realm. Empty religion amongst the Jewish people was the dominant posture towards God. The people and the culture was filled with pagan idolatry and empty ritualism, and all of it was overrun with philosophical arrogance. Does any of that sound familiar? You see, if we would choose as the followers of God, those who are the children of God, to embrace our identity and our citizenship as children of heaven, then it would lead us away from this fear-based nonsense that caused us to go, woe is me and how terrible things are and bury my head and only talk to people on social media and follow people on social media that think exactly the way that I do. And we would see that in the same way that God sent his people out into the world in Acts 1-8 when he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the world, that he has also called us today to be a modern day apostles and disciples to be sent out into the world so that we can go be his witnesses in Kansas City and Missouri and America and the world. And we are right now today in the same place where the book of Acts began. And it was in this world that the true followers of Jesus gathered together regularly for fellowship, for worship, for training in his word. They ministered to one another from house to house and took care of each other's spiritual and physical needs. They went out into the community and told people about the power of Jesus to change their life. And it was this small group of a hundred or so people that took the light and life of Jesus into the death and darkness of the world and the light overcame the darkness. And I believe 
that they were able to tap into the momentum of God that changed the world because they understood where their allegiance was. It was not to a king or to a president or to a country or to a religious system. It was to the creator of the universe who loved them so much he sent his son to die for them so they could have access to be a part of his kingdom that would last forever. It isn't wrong to sing God bless America, please do. It's not wrong to pray for God to bless America, please do. But we need to understand America is not God's country and Americans are not God's people. tell that went over well. Let me take it a step further. When I study scripture, I don't see that God has much interest in blessing nations outside of Israel. That's a whole series of messages for another day if you don't understand that. But when I read 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, I want you to notice what it says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. See, preacher Manny said right there, he's gonna heal their land, he's gonna heal their nation. God does wanna bless nations. Did you see all the conditions that led up to that promise? What God said is that when his people, the children of God, the citizens of heaven, when they humble themselves and stop being prideful and arrogant, thinking that they can row themselves to all their goals and their dreams and the aspirations that God created them and designed them to be about and to accomplish and to do with their life, when they humble themselves and realize that they can't do that on their own, they'll come to the end of themselves and realize that they need me. When they will pray, not as a last resort, but as the first option to know that I know that God, you are first in my life and everything I do revolves and centers around you. And when I follow you, that you will guide and order my steps so that the things I do and the things I say and the places I go all has meaning and value and significance. When I seek God first, seeking his kingdom, not my own, seeking his will and not my own. And when I turn from my wicked ways, when I repent from my sin, when I recognize I'm not a slave to this addiction, I'm not a slave to these things. I have been set free by the power of Jesus, by the power of the cross, by the authority of the resurrection. And I choose to sin because I see myself first as a citizen of this world and not as a citizen of heaven. And when God calls us to see ourselves as a citizen of heaven, then we will repent. We will turn from our sin, recognizing that it's an abomination before God, not because God is expecting something from us, but because God is wanting us to live in freedom and we can't live in freedom when we keep putting the shackles of sin and addiction back on our hands. When that happens, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You see, here's the deal. God only blesses nations when those nations are filled with people whose allegiance is first and foremost to King Jesus. It's not wrong to be a patriot and to love your country. You should. It's not wrong to want to engage in the process and engage in the debate. You should. But when the debate in the country is where your citizenship and your allegiance lies, you're wrong. So what are we supposed to do then? How do we live in such a way that we don't get it twisted and confused and living like our citizenship is in earth and America and not in heaven? I believe that we do that by understanding what God said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory. And I'm gonna take a little license here of King Jesus. See, what happens is 
When we get it twisted, our citizenship, and we misunderstand it, and we live differently, then the world gets confused by our message of heaven when our lives look like the world. What God is saying in this verse, go, live, teach, vote, serve, engage, parent, be a good spouse, be a good neighbor, be a great accountant, be an awesome math teacher for the glory of God. But as you do it, recognize that you are not doing it for the glory of you or for the glory of our nation, that God is calling you and inviting you as his child to do it for his glory. Because you know, my citizenship's not here. It's there. The purpose of this message is not to beat anybody up today. But I believe the purpose of this message is to remind us that as a child of God, your hope is not tied to the trajectory or the destination of this country. As a child of God, your hope is tied to the reality that you serve a king who went to the grave and won, who promised someday he's gonna come back and that eventually this earth will pass away and he will bring with it a new heaven and a new earth. That all of his followers will rule and reign with him there. I want you to walk away thinking that I'm telling you it's wrong for you to love your country, to serve your country, to be passionate about the things that are happening in our country. That's not wrong. But as I've watched the church in America over the last couple of years, I believe that it's possible Some of us have got it twisted. And in the midst of fighting for all of these things, and there are lots of things to fight for because darkness is real and evil exists. Jesus said the enemy's desire is to steal, kill, and destroy, and we should fight. But we need to be reminded that as Jesus' followers, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and wickedness of this age. And if somebody is going to convict us or confuse us or accuse us of fighting for something, let the thing be that we fight for that people's eyes would be open to the stupidly ridiculous, extravagant and audacious love of God. Demonstrated that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Church, I love you. Thank you. Messages like this can be hard to hear. But I would just invite you to consider if, if you're struggling, if you're wrestling, and maybe there's something that caused you to be mad or angry or irritated about something that you've heard today, you can be mad at me if you want. You can say, I don't like that preacher man preaching that stuff. makes me upset. Well, It won't be the last time I say something that upsets you. I would just ask you to do this. Would you go home and would you pray and say, God, what in that was for me? 
See, my job's the messenger. And I'll always fall on my sword for you because I love you and that's what pastors do. But if you feel the tendency to want me to fall on the sword, I will. But I just, I just asked you to consider that maybe just maybe the spirit brought you here today to hear this message today so that he can make you and change you and move you to look a little bit like Jesus. You see, Jesus fought against the things of this world as well. He just do it with weapons. He did it through service and sacrifice. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, my hope is that you would hear how extravagantly Desperately, God loves you. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.